I'm Dean Olsher, and this is The Really Big Questions. It's the podcast that asks really big questions, and today we want to know why people get attached to certain objects. Little kids do it all the time, and we're fine with that. And then if an adult does it, we begin to wonder. For example, I'm holding an alto saxophone that I own. It was made by Kahn in the 1920s, and it's a special instrument. It might be worth something. I find it hard to play, though, and I thought about trading it for a new Yanagasawa that I've got my eye on that would practically play itself. But the thing that keeps me from doing it is that this horn belonged to my dad, and he paid his way through college playing it in a band called Buttons and Bows. The lead singer was named Buttons, and the guys in the band were her Bows, B-E-A-U-X. Really bad wordplay, I know. But it seems that the instrument is mine for good, because... It's invested with this extra layer of meaning. And now, to tell you just how common this kind of magical thinking is, here's our digital producer, Chris Julin. This story starts with Emily Walsh. Her parents live down the street from me, so I've known her for years. It goes back to when I was a very little kid. That's almost 30 years ago. I carried around little objects. Emily collected all sorts of trinkets and doodads, coins and keys, puzzle pieces, People in her family say that pieces for board games used to go missing, but they were always easy to find. Emily had them. Anything that I found really compelling, I would just take and actually carry them around in bags. When she got to be an adult, she still had this love of special objects. When I was traveling, I just found myself gathering things and also just taking things along as lucky charms. My sister would always make me a little star whenever I traveled, and I carried that with me. And I just found myself being like, does anyone else do this? So she decided to ask. A few years ago, she was backpacking in the Himalayas, and she started asking the other hikers she met if they were carrying anything special with them, something that wasn't practical, but that they really wanted to have along with them. People carry, like, rocks, special rocks, which sounds so heavy. People had pictures and good luck charms. Um, it just seemed to be really a really widespread phenomenon, and it's, it, it is the most interesting to me when when you are, like, carrying these things on your back. Like, it, it really is telling about how important they are to you. Emily talked with lots of people in lots of places over the years, and most of them had at least one object that had meaning for them. Then, a couple of years ago, Emily landed in grad school. She's getting a master's in social work. By chance, one of her readings talked about people's attachment to special objects. As you can imagine, that caught her attention. It turns out there was a British psychiatrist named Donald Winnicott who wrote about kids and the things they get attached to. He's been dead for years now, but he's well-respected and influential, and he said it was natural for kids to get really attached to a special thing. Back in the 1950s, Donald Winnicott coined a term for these special things. He called them transitional objects. Blankies, stuffed animals, things that kids can cuddle. But he had this idea that adults really are kind of supposed to grow out of that phase. If you're a healthy adult, you find other sources of meaning and leave the objects behind. You're not supposed to have a special thing anymore. You're not supposed to have a special thing, yeah. That flew in the face of the stories that Emily had been hearing for years. All these conversations with adults about their special things. Emily just couldn't see that as pathological. I was like, that can't be so, you know, (laughs) like, no. So Emily decided to write a paper about it. She asked about 30 adults if she could interview them about a special object in their lives. It's something that has sort of a vital meaning for you, that, um, you know, you feel your life is enriched by having it. Not just that I want this, but that I wouldn't want to live without this. Oh, yeah. I would be supremely bummed if I didn't have this thing. Absolutely. I asked a question about that, you know, 
what would it be like to not have this? And people were like, people would get silent or just like, be like, I don't want to think about that. Items that people focused on were. Here's Emily reading the list of special objects that people told her about. A framed embroidery piece, prayer beads, a table, a framed dream catcher. The special things that people told Emily about fit roughly into three categories. Jewelry, a salt and pepper shaker set, a photo. Some objects are just really cool. They're unbelievably smooth or shiny or beautiful. A little lion sculpture, a chair, a carved figure. Some objects are charms. They have powers. They're things that soothe you or protect you. And finally, lots of special objects are mementos. They're things that remind you of a person or a place or a particular time. A stuffed dog, a stuffed elephant, and three rings. There are all sorts of powerful feelings tied to these objects, but they aren't all positive feelings. Some people told Emily that their special object can be a burden. Definitely, that's the word people used. You know, one of my participants had a bicycle from his father, and he was sort of like, why... Do I have such a huge heirloom? He said, as well as being a wonderful reminder of his dad, he's sort of like, this is a lot to have to carry around. Even people who consider their object a burden squirm at the idea of getting rid of it. If you inherited it, it, there's a disrespect to whoever wanted you to have it. So there's, maybe you don't even like this thing that someone gave you and asked you to hold on to, and you can't give it away because of that relationship. And then there were the people who just felt like the thing itself would be devastated if you gave it away. The thing itself? The thing itself would be devastated if they gave it away. Someone talked about a stuffed lobster, and she just felt like, I can't give this away because it'll hurt the thing's feelings. When Emily and I finished talking, an odd thing happened. This is the digital age, so we were in separate studios, a thousand miles apart. When the interview was over, the recording engineer came out of the sound booth to talk with Emily. His name is Bart Rankin. I was touched by the interview. I found it kind of moving. So I uh, walked into the studio and I showed her a special object of my own, which is a, a small stuffed giraffe that was given to me to my, by my wife when we were first together. It's part of our relationship. So between the two of us, we've built up a, a mythology around Mr. Giraffe. And do you have it with you right now? I do. He's sort of hiding under the counter in case anyone looks in the window of the studio. Because he's a sneaky giraffe. It's part of his legend. He's sneaky. Most days, Bart takes Mr. Giraffe with him to work in his bag. In fact, Mr. Giraffe's seen the world with Bart. He's actually driven on the wrong side of the road in Ireland, which, you know, most stuffed giraffes have not. Until Emily Walsh came into the studio, Bart hadn't told anyone outside of the family about Mr. Giraffe. He thought they might take it wrong. Well, that they would think that I'm I'm weird or silly. Yeah, I think that so. Of course, I probably, you know, maybe would tend to agree with them too that it's silly. A grown man who's nearly 50, it's sort of funny to have a, a stuffed animal that's your sort of special friend. As I hear this, I realize I'm, I'm sort of outing you here. This is this is okay. You know, yeah, I thought about it. I mean, even if everyone I knew knew about it, I don't think it would be a big deal. I don't think anyone would think badly of me. And I suppose if anyone did, you know, I don't know what, not want to be my friend, then maybe they're someone I wouldn't want to be friends with anyway if it's, if they take a stuffed animal that seriously. Bart says he's always been a collector. He keeps ticket stubs from concerts. He keeps programs from events. But before Mr. Giraffe, it had been years since he'd had one special object, not since he was a little kid. That's one place where he and his wife differ. He says she isn't a collector at all, usually. But she does hang on to one special thing. She has a, a little 
I think at this point, a piece of a blanket that was hers when she was a little kid. And she hangs onto that and often sleeps with it. That's interesting about the baby blanket. When Emily Walsh asked people to tell her about special objects, childhood stuffed toys and blankets showed up more than once. My name is Sophia Sloat, and my object is Blanky. Sophia's a friend of Emily's, and Blanky was on Emily's list. Blanky was the blanket that I was wrapped in as a baby instead of the hospital blanket. So he was originally a kind of rather, you know, normal-sized baby blanket, blue on one side, pink on the other, with a satin or a silk pink ribbing around the outside. I don't have any memories of him looking anything like that. I certainly don't remember him being pink at all. I do remember him presenting more as a blanket than he does now, but that's no longer the case. He is just a very small, you can hold him easily in both hands, ball of, of yarn with some kind of knots in it. Sophia thinks one reason she got so attached to Blanky is that when she was a kid, she split her time between her parents' houses. It was just such a constant comfort when things were shifting around me. You said your folks were divorced when you were pretty young, right? Yeah, five. Yeah, very young. So Blanky was in some ways the most static thing in my life. That's definitely part of the story and part of his purpose is to sort of fill uh, the absence that my parents couldn't really fill at the time. What happens in the future? I'm just wondering, uh, will he physically last as long as you do? Oh, that's very painful to think about. I mean, I will make some big changes so that he lasts, I think. I think. It's tricky, though, because, you know, in order to get soothing from him, I'm destroying him. This next bit might be a little hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. Sophia was in the same studio that Emily Walsh was in when I talked with her. Same studio, different day different recording engineer. But the exact same thing happened. At the end of the interview, the engineer came in to tell Sophia about her special object. I am Kara Foster. That's the engineer. I still have my baby blanket in a... I just never felt like throwing it away. What I told Sophia was I slept with it always. Um, We would go visit my grandparents for the summer. I would come. It was always in my bed wherever I was sleeping until I moved in with my future husband and started sharing a bed, and it just kept ending up on the floor. It wasn't like I wasn't cuddling the blanket anymore for comfort. I had somebody else, and it was replaced, but I never pitched it. Kara's blanket's in one of her dresser drawers. It's in a Ziploc bag with a sweatshirt, a stuffed animal, and a piece of a quilt from her childhood home. She doesn't take these things out very often. She just wants to know they're there. We all have heirlooms. We all have objects, furniture, jewelry, that have incredible meaning. That's Susan Pollack. I am a psychologist. I teach at Cambridge Health Alliance Harvard Medical School. She says it's fine for adults to have special objects. It's good even. She's heard lots of stories from adults who have drawn tremendous comfort from beloved objects. One of the fascinating things about being a therapist is, you know, people will tell you things that they wouldn't tell anyone else because of a sense of shame or a sense that, you know, it's not quite grown up to talk about the fact that you'll bring out your teddy bear or a piece of your blanket when you're going through hard times. Because I think we all need some comfort. It's just that we don't readily share how vulnerable we are. Susan Pollack has a special object of her own. It's a 1930s rolling pin that she inherited years ago from her grandma Tilly. It's wooden... It has red handles. It's chipped. I would use the rolling pin 
and talked to my daughter and my son about Tilly and what she was like and her history and how spunky she was as I was rolling dough or making cookies. In many ways, she still seemed to be alive in my kitchen. When you start asking, it really does seem like nearly everyone has a special object. That's certainly what Emily Walsh found. When she was contacting people for her research project, most people told her right away that, yep, they had one. But there were four different guys who said they didn't have anything like that. And then... She called them back in a couple of days. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, there's this thing, and I can talk for an hour and a half about it because it has that much meaning for me. We have photos of Mr. Giraffe and other objects that we talked about in this episode on our website, trbq.org. You'll find more of our podcasts there as well. As for your special object, we're hoping you're going to post it on our Facebook page. The members of the TRBQ team have already done so, so it's your turn now. This podcast was produced by Chris Julin. Our technical director is Robin Wise. Funding for TRBQ comes from the National Science Foundation, and I'm Dean Olsher.